Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found the probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Chamonix. Coming to you today from across the pond, well, half of us anyway. I'm in Edinburgh, Scotland, getting ready for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And Chris is in L.A. getting ready for his big preseason. What's happening, Chamonix? How are you, man? Good. How are the travels? Oh, my God. Arduous. You know what that means? Tough. Yeah, it means Difficult. easy, right? It means easy. Hey, first up, we didn't discuss this at all, but I want to give a shout-out to, to the great Bill Russell. My God, what a competitor. Uh, what an amazing athlete. Um, you know, uh, 21... What do they say? 21 final games he played in his last uh, uh, 14 seasons. Like, uh, never lost a single one. Um, I'm a Celtic fan. Um, and unfortunately, in Boston, he dealt with a lot of racial uh, bullshit where people, you know, vandalized his homes and stuff. And the guy um, was outspoken, but a, a class, class act, a warrior. And um, the world will miss him. And as a coach, Chris, they don't make him like that, man. Uh, the desire to win. Yeah, I mean a winner, a winner. I mean, we talk about that lightly sometimes, but you're talking about someone who won two NCAA championships, an Olympic gold medal, and eleven NBA titles. It's Look at you right up the top of your head. You know, the one story I had heard about him, which was amazing, is he actually talked to uh, you know Will Chamberlain, D- Dave Cowens. He would give up some of his secrets, like you know the big block where people were swatted away. Mm. Russell would never do that. He would redirect the ball to start a fast break in the other direction with a block smart. like smart no ego all team and so uh man uh, the world is going to miss that uh, that guy so um hopefully he's he's in a better place now. yeah and and everything off the court as well activist coach leader i mean amazing person in american history and uh not just the sport landscape but the entire landscape of of our fabric of our country so it's he's a, he's someone who who is going to be missed and you know the kind of when this happens you share this one with or at least I share it with my kids and say oh you got to read about this one you know this is right about special. this guy yeah yeah for sure so i'm here in edinburgh uh, like i said getting ready i start wednesday with my one man and uh, you start what thursday i think with the the women at LMU? yeah preseason yeah D- division one preseason it all depends on when your first game is you back out x number of days according to the ncaa rules so uh most programs on the women's side will start up this week so we're all excited about that if it actually feels Chris, like since the days I played in the, you know, right after the war of 1812, it just <laughs> seems like everybody is starting earlier now. Like I remember maybe going to camp two weeks in to August. I mean, now here we are, it's August 1st and you're already yeah. on campus. Yeah, you're right. It used to be mid August, you know, roughly speaking, everyone would start at the same time, but you know, the NCAA tournament has grown. You need more dates, you need more time. And so there's also student health where, you want to give everyone a, a, at least a fair chance of getting physically fit without rushing into injuries and games and all that stuff. So there, there's still dialogue about what may come down the pike, but for at least for now, you, you get about a two, three week preseason, which is clearly not enough, but it's, it's something. 
Well, that's not enough, but still, I mean, you know, they're student athletes, which is what, you know, you have to deal with. But uh, it, it's amazing to me that, uh, you know, we had to go to camp in, in shape and the guys who weren't certainly paid for it. They're puking or, you know, just couldn't, couldn't hang or pulling muscles and stuff. So I think it's amazing that you even thought maybe the school should get them in shape, get them there earlier. Cause that's all, that's all financial concerns there because you're, you're putting them up, you're feeding them, you're, you know, they're a training camp. So, I mean, there's a cost concern there too, but, um, and it seems like D1, you have no choice. You, you got to go through it. Yeah. I mean, there's a student athlete welfare. So, it, it, and we're not even at the end of this conversation because, you know, at least in division one, they're looking at the men's side and the women's side, you know, putting down some different roles for the future where the preseasons are longer, whether that means coming in earlier or extending the season in the 21st century model, there's different ways of doing it. And, and all that is being discussed right now so that there could be a longer and healthier preseason uh, to avoid soft tissue injuries, all that kind of stuff. Cause you think about it, you know, you get a, a half of a, a knock, whether it's your hamstring or something, now you need two, three weeks. Well, that could be six, seven, eight games, you know, yeah. and you only get 20. So, you know, one little thing and you lose a quarter or a third of your season, it, it's harsh for them. So speaking of losing your season or losing, I don't know, access, you guys have Juventus is training at, at LMU. So how does that affect, who gets uh, carte blanche to, with taking the, uh, the times? Do they have to go around your schedule or are you guys kind of going around theirs? Yeah, we're I think, we, I think the latter. Yeah, at least in this case, like the 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 college teams aren't really starting up until August, and so a lot of these teams come in July, and so all around the country you have, you know, a hodgepodge of different campuses that get rented basically. So we, yeah, this week we had Juventus there um, through the okay, LMU, beautiful campus too, by the way. So I'm sure yeah players love it. I'm sure whoever's making the decisions is like, we're going back here. Yeah, exactly. We've had, you know, I'm new there, but there's been a lot of teams. Apparently there's been Barcelona, Tottenham, Man City, Arsenal. All these teams have come through LMU through the years because it's a great field and it's a chance to be in LA and and be not too far from the Rose Bowl. So like Juventus plays Real Madrid on Saturday at the Rose Bowl, 90,000 people. And it's a preseason friendly. It's, It's crazy. And, you know, I think contractually some of their players have to play, right? But uh, Pog was there. Did you watch him train? I, I saw a little bit. He wasn't there. He actually, I think he got hurt in, in, uh, in one of the training sessions a uh, couple, of, couple of days early on in the camp. And then a couple of days uh, towards the end of the camp, McKinney took a knock to his shoulder. So, you know, yeah, couple, that was yeah they're, really they're limping right now a little bit. Yeah, you know, so that's a big, you know, McKinney, that's that's tough for the national team. I think it's separated shoulder. So um, a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. It shouldn't be too bad. Oh, God, Ben. So, um, well, I don't know we're just worried about the, you know, it's weird thinking about the, the world cup, it's going to be in November. So everything's right around the corner. Um, and everyone's thinking uh, calendar wise is just way off. So, uh, so did you watch Juventus train though itself? Yeah, I got to see them train. They did a little bit of work where they're playing out of the back and it was a day or two before the Real Madrid game. And, you know, it speaks to how high a level Real Madrid are at right now, because I think the scoreline was two zero in that game, but Real Madrid were, we're far and away the better team. Um, and obviously, you know, Juventus just signed Di Maria. So they're working him in certain people like McKinney and Pogba, like we said, did not play. So when there's a gap between those two teams, I mean, Real Madrid's at a very high level right now, full of confidence coming off the champions league. So there's a gap. Let me ask you this as a coach. So you're watching Juventus practice coming out of the back. These are world-class players. 
Uh, it, it's not really about execution, or is it about just a system of play? Are they coming out of the back with three in the back or four in the back or, or what? Or, or how to play it with the keeper? I mean, I, w- I wouldn't even where to begin to take those players and tell them, teach them how to come out of the back or implement a system. What, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, every coach does it differently. So, you know, he's going to look at Allegri as the coach. He's going to look at who he has and how he thinks is the best way to play and and the different versions of that. So you know, I was sitting with someone who asked about, well, why are they looking to play out of the back? Why don't they just, you know, punt or goal kicks or stuff like that? And oh, God, you, you, you can. Yeah, it was a, it was someone who Football was not, coach. A, soccer, was not right. a soccer person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, was a, it was an innocent and fair question. And right. uh, the, the answer is uh, obviously, of course they can do that stuff. And even Man City has done it sometimes when they feel like, you know, they're under a lot of pressure, but in reality, if you're going to be a great team in, in Europe, especially you have to be able to hold on to the ball. Cause if you don't, the right. other teams are just going to dominate you and, and, and you'll be running on fumes, you know, cause you're chasing the ball all the time. So they're chasing being able to possess for the value that it brings. Um, so they work on that, you know, every year you always sprinkle in a couple of new players. So the coordination of that requires training. Yeah. But I mean, I think everyone come plays out of the back now. You have to, and I don't think that that dictates the amount of possession you have, but having possession doesn't necessarily mean you win games. Uh, it's certainly a good indicator, would you say, but it, it uh, you know, some of these teams counter like real Madrid against, against Barcelona. It was the counter. Yeah. I think it's been pretty proven that possession is not an indicator of winning games. Um, right. But you know, when, when you, when you have two relatively similar teams, it, it doesn't have that much of an influence. However, if you're trying to win something big like a Champions League, which Juventus would say that, you know, they're trying to be at the top of Serie A and right. have a run in the Champions League every year, you now have to play the Man Cities and the Real Madrids and the Barcelonas of the world. And if you can't get a grip of the ball in that game, forget it, because they're not going to give it up. And now you're chasing for too too much and you're going to grind down eventually. All right. Um, well, so you've been talking to your women on the team. Big, big month of women's soccer. It's uh, I'm in Scotland, and all everybody's talking about is the women's win, the the England women. Uh, this could be a sort of a watershed moment for women's soccer worldwide. Because look, I, I've been critical of the U.S. only in the sense that saying they don't have the competition, and yet, you know, when you know you get I get a little you get a little secure or defensive when they say, well, why can't the men win because the women win? It's like, well, it's apples and oranges, but. I think there's a lot more parity in soccer. We've been talking about this every every week about how the U.S. women have had not great competition leading up, and then they go to the finals, and, and perhaps they're not as sharp as they could be. Uh, man, it was a great Euros, wasn't it? Yeah, it's. Uh, I really agree with you. This could be a tipping point for the women's game at the professional level. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're getting stories out of Spain that they get 90,000 people at a Barcelona game and these kinds of things. And then you watch the final at Wembley yesterday and there's 80,000 people and there's a consistency to the fan base now. And what, what you're getting is, is a higher level product. And, you know, you don't always get to watch the women's euros. Obviously it's not an annual event, but I was talking to our staff recently about, you know, man, like th- this is a higher level than the last one and the one before that. Yeah. And, 
Klopp has come out even and, and spoken to that exact point. You know, it's just technically and tactically, the teams are far more advanced. And, and I would even say physically, because now that you have the big clubs in the world supporting the players in a real way and putting in that in professional environment on a day in, day out basis, they're physically getting to different levels and higher levels. So you tie all those things together and it's a better product and people are, are loving it, you know? And so you, you have a real good soccer product now and, um, it's gotten better is, is uh, really the, the word. And, and, and now you're getting a fan base to really enjoy it even more. Well, here, here's my thing. The women have, U.S. women have um, been have been able to take part in just so many advantages in pretty much every sector. What's different now is you have Arsenal, you know, like you said, PSG, all these teams, they are getting top training now year round. And that makes a huge difference it's uh now i think for, for once you have european teams or or world teams that are taking advantage well really european teams women's teams that are taking advantage of that infrastructure where the women in the united states don't have that really they they have the the professional league here in this country which is still growing but i mean it's it's not the same is it yeah you know i was also watching the copa america final between colombia and brazil and, and brazil wins that uh I don't think the level was the same as the Euros, but what I will right. say is, is you know, these top players are now playing across the world. So the world is smaller, as we know, and the market for players is global. And so if you're a top player in your country, you're going to have a chance to play in America or Europe at some of the better leagues in the world. Um, I know Mexico has signed a lot of players and they're paying them well. And now the competition between the NWSL, which is top to bottom, a, a very, very solid league. Um sure. There's going to be the infrastructure and the glory of playing for Barcelona, you know, and so now the money's coming as well so that they may be able to attract more and more players. So th there's a real, you know, wrestling match for the top talent in the world now. And so we're seeing that. And, and so the bar keeps going up at the national levels as well. Yeah, it's funny. I had always thought like a lot of big European players who come to MLS late in their careers, what they enjoyed was the anonymity of playing soccer in America. They were known at the stadium and people appreciated what they did, but they could walk the streets, uh, you know, Rooney and, uh, you know, remember Pep walking around New York city and loved it that no one was bugging him 24 seven. I think the women and rightly so, I believe they, sh they feel like a lot of them feel like they should go to a place where they're completely appreciated wherever, everywhere they go. You're like, you're a superstar. Yeah. I mean, there's something about being in, in some of these countries where, where football is is the biggest sport clearly and when that happens as a as a soccer person as a football person whenever let's say as an american i go to visit spain for example you, you really feel like you're immersed in a soccer culture and right they, it's always on in the media television everywhere it's the first lead story it's not lebron james it's it's about what the team is doing and so that's intoxicating for, for, for us. You know, we love the sport and to be in a, in a country that has all of that every day, 365, you know, that's uh, something that I think we all kind of lean towards. And so if you're an American player, you know, th there's an appeal to go play for those kinds of teams. Having said that the NWSL has done a great job of, of getting some of the best global talent to come here. So I think it's 50, 50 right now. It's going to be interesting to see how these teams evolve over the next five to 10 years. Well, even in MLS, more players in their prime are coming here. Players, especially from South and Central America, uh, are then going overseas from here, 
which, you know, it, it makes us sort of like the Dutch league or, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, another league or where you put players together and then you sell them off uh, later on. Yeah. MLS has been really intentional about not just getting the older veteran, but bringing in the younger player and then selling them on. I think Diego Rossi is a great example of that. Someone who was signed at a young age out of Uruguay to LAFC, and then they sold him on on a loan, then an ultimate purchase to, to a Turkish team. And so now he's playing, you know, being able to play at a Champions League level type of club in Europe. Um, and they make money on those kinds of deals. And so they're very intentional about that central South American market to get those kinds of players. And then you cherry pick from there, which is obviously like in this case, talking about LAFC, Chiellini or Gareth Bale, those are, you know, more the anomaly right now than it is the standard signing. Hey, you know, speaking of Chiellini, and I know you're a big fan of his, obviously, as you all should be, if you're a football fan. Um, he had some comments about MLS that I thought were just sort of right on and, and pretty smart. He said, you know, if you think you're going to come here and it's going to be easy, you're in for, for a really, uh, you know, a big mistake you're making. Yeah, a lot of these guys say that. I mean, the the pace and the power in the game, it's fast, it's physical, it's not an easy league. Um, and so, you know, it's not the best league in the world, but it's a very strong league top to bottom. It's And, and there's all the additional challenges of you have to fly 3,000 miles, you have to do all these different things, you know, just to get to one game and, and back cross country and, you know, playing in whatever. Dallas in August is really hard with the humidity. There's a lot of variables that are different than what they typically see in Europe. So, you know, they, they have a respect for what this league is. It's not easy logistically. Well, I'll tell you this, I was in Scotland and I just got off a flight yesterday, like this morning, really. I just, uh, just got here. I left Boston yesterday, but I, so I spent the day in Scotland today and there were about four or five different weather patterns that came through the city today. And there's like, they said, that's a normal day in, in Edinburgh. And I'm like, every one of them was perfect soccer playing weather. Absolutely. You know, little dew in the air, a little mist, yeah. like a little sunny, but it was still cool. Then it rained a little bit. I'm just thinking, oh man, I want to, I wish I had brought my boots over with me. So listen to this though, Chris, yesterday I, uh, they give, it's an international flight. So they, apparently they put you in a bus and you got to go out onto the tarmac. And then you have to go up the stairs, not, you know, out of the, the terminal into the, bu- into the jet. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm walking up and there is this, these three elderly people are trying to walk up the stairs and mm. they can't. Mm. So, um, this is what Delta Delta didn't like have any contingency plan for anyone. Like, how do you get these elderly people up? There's got to be a way to get them up. Because finally, I look at this one dude and I go, uh, um, "Should we carry them up?" You know? He goes, "Yeah, man." So we do like that sort of cross your arms. No way. Woman. Yes, we put her. She's in their eighties, and and her husband's standing behind her. He's having a harder time than she does for it than she is. So I go, "Do you mind if we pick your wife up?" He goes, "Please do it. I'll go create." They put it up the stairs and put it up there. Probably toss her over the stairs if you will. Um, so we bring her up, you know, and uh, we come back down to him. He's he's gone up like two steps by the time we get back down. And he goes, uh, I go, do you want a hand up? He goes, yeah, I want the hand up, but you're not putting your hands up my arse like you did with my wife. Oh, did he? You know, he's laughing. You know, what a what a sense we, of humor. Put your hand up my wife's arse. You know, and so what we did was just put, you know, his arms around our shoulders and, and pulled him up that way. But, uh, you know, and then this is what I say about human nature. The Scots are so, so sweet. They're so nice, all of them. And there was a couple of Americans being like, 
what the hell, man? Come on, we got to get on a plane, man. Come on, like they were waiting behind us. Kind of like, Jesus, man, there are some people in their 80s here. 90s, yeah. Maybe, yeah. That's odd that they didn't have, like, you know, a contingency no, for this. Nothing. I get everybody's understaffed all across the world, wherever you're going. So uh, it was just, uh, and then I'm on a flight, and, you know, as, as luck would have it, I'm in a middle seat because I booked so late. I'm like, oh, come on, man. And uh, I've got my whole game plan. I got an Ambien, and I'm going to do drink a little scotch and head out for, for a little shut-eye. And I have nobody on the left and right side of me. Mm. And, and it's like, they're just, and I'm like, oh, man, I am stretching out. Um, I'm looking around for somebody to cuddle with. You know, and I'm like, I'm just going to just lay out on the three seats. And I swear to God, it's Murphy's Law. I text my girlfriend. I go, hey, man, I got three seats, and I'm going to be right as rain, just sleeping for this whole flight. Right as I do that, these two sisters come in, you know, and they're like in their 60s. <laughs> they're just, they're hammered. And the one is talking to me the entire time with bad breath. And I'm like, I have gone from zero to 60 in a nightmare here. Oh. So the whole time I, I had my headphones on and she kept talking to me. <laughs> sisters like related, related to each other from Scotland? No, they were from Orlando, Florida. And uh, I had to hear her whole life story. She was born in St. Louis Obispo. She did this, then went there. And I'm like, oh, my God, I am in hell. Didn't you offer the middle seat so they could sit together? Oh, I did. I did. Yeah. And that's why I had the one talkative sister on my left. Uh, the other sister shut her off. Like, you talk to the guy. I'm sick of talking to him the whole time. <laughs> oh, my God. I was miserable. Who talks to someone? I kept taking the headphones off. Like, uh, excuse me? What? Oh, that's the move yeah. to say, stop talking to yeah, me. Right. And, and then she kept going. And I wanted to just say, how, how many times have you been divorced? Just, just all park. Just over under. <laughs> so anyway, so we cuddled in the middle seat and everything was fine. She's still Perfect. here now. Barbara, say hi. Say hi to the guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm like, uh, and then you got all the golfers are coming over to play in St. Andrew. And so there's a, there's a guy stretching out in the waiting area to, to board the flight. And he's like, looks like he's getting ready to play a kick around. You know, hmm. I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I just played uh, two rounds of golf today. My knee's blowing up. And uh, he goes, I'm getting on this plane tomorrow morning. I have a 930 AM uh, golf match uh, doing it. You know, and he's like, uh, I go, oh, well, all right, man. Well, ice it up, take some Advil. He goes, well, why? I go, why? Your knee hurts. I think sometimes we assume as guys who played, you know, that like, well, take some ice, you know, ice your knee. Yeah. Get some medical. He's like, well, why, why, why would you do that? Like, <laughs> I, I got to start a one-on-one with this guy. Like rest, ice, compression, and elevation. That's opening up a physical trainer's yeah, office at the airport. But there's, I don't know, something about golfers bug me sometimes. I know a lot of guys, do you golf? No, but that's a Mecca for them over there, right? It's the Mecca. It is yeah. it is Mecca for that. I'm from today. Brooklyn. We don't golf. Hey, no, yeah, we use golf clubs in a different way over your head. <laughs> <laughs> I think the 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 course in Brooklyn, like the ninth thing on the list was golf the golf course was used for golf. That was like the ninth thing. Right. Yeah, I lost my virginity. We had a keg party, we had a prom out there, unofficially, of course. Yeah. A little yeah. bit of everything. Got a right past golf right past the dead bodies. No, everybody, uh, no, Brooklyn's very different than what it was when my old man was there. I'll tell you that. So, yeah, you get back there at all. Brooklyn should have a soccer team, they should have a professional team. They got the Brooklyn Italians, it's a famous club team over there. How you doing? 
Literally the Brooklyn Italians. Yeah, I played for a different club, Yoa. In the the Cosmopolitan League, though, isn't that yeah, great? Yeah, the, league? the Oval, the Oval. Yeah, fair, right? the Metro. Yeah, the well, Oval. that's the Metropolitan Oval, but it's yep. part of the Greater Cosmopolitan League. It's a long and storied league in New York, and you have all these different teams, you know, different backgrounds. It's an amazing league. I said when I was in college, that was what was great about you know playing with those teams. Is I think the Greeks, the Germans, the the Portuguese, they always had you know the the kids came over from across the pond there and and then weren't as many immigrants and so they were pulling in american players um, yeah so it was a great great cultural sort of lesson learning all about you know different foods and people's passions and parties so um, yeah yeah but i always thought there should be a professional soccer team in brooklyn i think they were trying to do one in um in flushing meadow right they were trying to they were trying to well they're still trying to get a stadium for nycfc that's I until know. that happens nothing else is going to happen so well I don't think MLS can get to the next level until New York City has a good stadium. That's a real true soccer stadium. Boston has a good true soccer stadium. They don't have one either. Uh, like the Union have one in Philly. Uh, DC has one now. But Boston and New York, these two great. Yeah, I mean the diff the difference is you know the for New for New England. I mean they have the space. They just ain't doing it. You know what I mean? Well, it's, they they don't have the space. Where it's not in Boston is. proper, but like, you know, Foxborough, there's space out yeah, there, right? Well, of course there's space out there, but this is, I mean, imagine if there was, and I've talked to Mike Burns when he was the general manager over there on the show. And, and he was like, they knew the value of having it in Cambridge or Brookline or somewhere where you could take the T, the subway system yeah. to the game. Uh, people can walk to the games like in, in Seattle, uh, you know, downtown. It's a downtown sport with football. You're out these big, you know, pastors were taking park cars and and you know have your tailgate for hours on end. But soccer, look, man, you're, you're, it's over in two hours, and you go in and you get out, and everybody you know goes to the pubs and stuff afterwards. They almost had it, and uh, in Massachusetts, in Boston, when they had it near uh, UMass, UMass Boston, there, I think, and like the the unions or something got in the way. But it's uh, it's too bad. I I think they've kind of given up because I haven't even heard any scuttlebutt about it of late. Yeah, I mean, they, they did a good job of putting creating a really good training site there. So they have that, and some teams are just putting that before they put their stadium in. Um, but they just haven't done it. Other teams have prioritized it, and every market's different. Like dropping a, a soccer stadium in the in the in New York City is hard. It's expensive. Space is hard. All that kind of stuff. How about so Brooklyn? A, could they put could they could they put one there? I mean, I'd call it NYC. Yeah. NFC? Yeah. They could, you know, how and where it's still, you know, it's still a big challenge, but you're right. Like I, I went to a Seattle Sounders game this summer and it's in downtown Seattle. You can walk there. They have a whole thing where everyone goes, to, you know, for to hit the, the cafes or the bars before and they all march to the stadium. It's amazing. It's it's like such a cool situation. And I know Portland and many other markets have all that stuff and that's the ideal. Um, yeah. but they can't replicate it everywhere yet. And that that would I, be the best thing to do. I told you a story. I talked to a senior NFL executive and he said that he sat down the NFL owners and had them watch video of the Seattle Sounders mm -hmm. fans going to the game. And he said, if we don't get on the stick with this NFL stuff, you know, with these kind of this kind of fan celebration, he said, we're going to be in trouble. And by the way, it's that the was quarterback. I'm blanking on his name right now because I'm old. They gave him a six game suspension to Sean Watson. Yeah. Watson, man. I mean, you get a chance to sort of do something right and they just you know, follow the money, I, I guess. I don't know if it's the players union or NFL or, or what it is, but you know, it's getting, you should go for a season for half that shit. 
it's mind boggling that, you know, these things happen and players, you know, the, the, all these things are alleged. And then there's a lot of things that get settled, you know, offline where people get paid off and then you're not, okay, where does this stand legally? What does the face of the league have to do right. and say, and, and no matter what happens, part of the problem is here is like, it's a tricky spot because these players always end up leaving their teams, but someone else signs them. So it right. kind of goes around and around and around and, and it's a difficult situation you know, for everybody, but, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to play out. I, I'll tell you what, what else I don't know is it going to play out talking about situations is Ronaldo. Cause now he apparently oh, yeah. left the before stadium. The yeah. Before the game's over, which is what I've been kind of hinting at. Like this is coming down to the wire here where he doesn't want to be there. And he's making that clear. He's satisfying his commitment to quote unquote play, but he doesn't want to be there. And he's making that really obvious. So now what happens? You're going to force him to play. That's a tough one. Well, they did. He played the first 45, I think. Um, yeah. You know, but I mean, you can, you know, I mean, have teams and owners and coaches and every, have we lost that much power where a guy's got a contract supposed to play? I mean, we, you know, last week we talked about Harry Kane, just the fact that Harry Kane never, never set out, but he had wanted to move and made that known. And he seemed to be pretty forthright about it, but he played every time he was supposed to play and played his heart out. It seems like, you know, uh, I mean, uh, this is going to leave a bad mark because, like, a Messi didn't wouldn't do this. He really wouldn't. He's quiet. He plays. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing we should say is we don't know what the arrangement was. You know, if he was allowed to just bolt out right after. Uh, obviously, it's not common practice to leave. Uh, even if you grab a shower at halftime, you come out, you watch the second half would be the standard. Um, but you don't know what the situation is. And if he was given, uh, neither neither side has said, which means he probably wasn't supposed to do what he did. Um, Dude, of course. Come on. Of course. You're, you're, right. you're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you know, uh, uh, even on either I'm pissed at the coach, you, you, you stay for your teammates. Even if you shower up and you're in the stands or on the bench and sweats or whatever, you, you stay for them. Yeah. You piss, you piss and moan to the boys in the locker room afterwards. But – Man, that's that's pretty shocking to just leave the Yeah, game. you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, you don't know if yeah. he's been now for weeks saying, Look, I'm being straight. I don't want to be here. So can you help me get out of here? I don't want to be here. I'm just talking to you and I don't want to be here. And if he's doing that and they're not helping, now it's it's painting him into a corner. You know, because at the end of the day, it comes down to that same question is how much do you want a player if he actually doesn't want to be there? So, yes, he has a contract, but if he doesn't want to be there, well, what's the value of the contract? I mean, we've come across this through the years before. Uh, this is a tricky one, though, because you're dealing with such a huge person in Ronaldo. Yeah, but he's fucking up his legacy here, I, I really believe. And I tell you, to act that way, I have a, a feeling he knows where he's going next. He wants it done, though. That's what it uh, is. No one knows where that is. So that's interesting. That's a lot of these teams have shied away from them. So I don't know how this is going to play out. Well, but it's, I don't think it's going to end, you know, in a nice way. Probably. Do you think he'll come to the States ever? I think he's going to do, he's going to make one more move and then possibly come here. I think maybe. Yeah. That, that, that makes some sense. Um, but he still wants to play in Europe. Clearly I mean, he wants I, to play in the champions league. Well, he wants to play in the champions league, which seems to supersede everything. And, the, and he feels like that's where his legacy will be in right. the champions league. My point is, you're doing this, you're not helping yourself in, in any any uh, shape. I mean, he was your leading scorer last year, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. We treated it like he was like, oh, he's almost done and dusted, and yet there he is. He's the leading scorer with some great scorers on the team. 
Um, Pogba's got to have a resurgence. I think he uh, was seemed to so stifled and unhappy at Manchester United. Uh, too bad he couldn't have stuck around for this new coach. Yeah, they've had a lot of talent come through these last few years, and they've spent a lot of money these last few years, but they can't get it right. I don't know what it is, different coaches, all that stuff. I think a lot of it is, you know, after the Ferguson time, it, it's impossible when someone's there for 20 years to just segue smoothly into the next chapter. It's There's just so much that's that's been put into place that it's hard to – just act like everything's okay. And, and and there's a transition there. And then they got the roster wrong a few times and they're putting band-aids on problems and it, it's just really gone backwards for them. So well, hopefully this new coach can set it straight. You know, you think that you're paying players, um, you're motivating them through financial ways. You're motivating them through playing time. Um, you as a college coach, you award scholarships. What leverage do you have on, on college players that, that you know because like look when we grew up chris when we played like the coach was the final word that was it and now there's a lot more pressures there's athletic directors and and uh, yeah i mean i think at men united anyway it's a case of you know putting these players together and it hasn't worked you know right. just you know the 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 combination of players hasn't worked the whether it's internal motivation of certain players how they play together the tactical choices the change of coaches you know, the running through that, no matter who the coach is, they haven't been able to find a solution with that combination of players. So a certain, you know, the, the phrase of blowing up a roster, quote unquote, is is probably, you know, needed in a certain way. You know, Ten Hag, who I think is a... Oh, they had to. And all that money they've spent, my God. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I had kind of put my kind of my, my, my finger on Ten Hag the last cycle. I thought they should have hired him before and, yeah. and they didn't. And now they have, so he gets a chance at it, but there's been so much damage under the, under the the bridge there, you know, and now you have guys like McGuire who's been affected. His confidence has been affected. It's oh God, yeah. they're in a tough spot. All right. Well, but I'm, I'm going to let the the fact that you just said, uh, fingered my hog. I'm going to let that just go completely and move on to the next. Right. Well, his name put, is put, Ten Hog. Yeah, you said I put my finger on the hog. <laughs> put my finger on I'm the still, hog. I'm still like 10 years old. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so let me let me ask you this. Uh, the, the women, are they talking about the, the Euros? Your, your team? Yeah, yo, I haven't actually, we haven't gotten together yet. We start at the end of the week, but um, a chance to see big teams and big players. So yeah, any, any, anyone who follows the game, I think it's a, it's a great landscape for that. So, you know, it's been on ESPN, they've covered it really well. So a lot of the American soccer fans and all, a lot of the college players at the, at the women's level in particular have, have, have really kind of eaten it up. So it's been a great opportunity to watch high level game. Well, think about ESPN. I mean, for them, it's a growth market. All these, you know, the Fox and everybody else is like suddenly women's soccer is on the, you know, it's it's valuable and viable, and uh, people want to watch it. I think it's just got to translate to uh, the, the the women's league. So it's funny. I heard uh, Christine Brennan on uh, the writer for USA Today talking about, uh, you know, everybody was saying things about basketball and the, the fact that women have to subsidize their income by going over to Russia, like Grenier. Um, and she was basically saying, "Yeah, that's all fine and good. You want to support the women? Go to the games, watch the games." Yeah. 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 If the fan base is good and the and the uh, the experience when you're at the stadium is good, you know that obviously leads to attendance, which leads to advertising and sponsors and you know TV deals and all that stuff. But you know the right. valuations are going up. There, I think it's the Washington team that that just 
got some new owners and and they're the valuing the teams at, at 20 that at 20 million now and it was only a few years ago you could probably get in at three million it's like yeah, things good. are really going up um but yeah that's the next chapter for the nwsl is to solidify themselves in the tv market because that'll bring more money to trickle down to all the clubs so uh i'm excited but this about three thousand shows are here and nobody i know other than janine garofalo who's appearing in the same theater that i am uh, we won the Boston Comedy Riot together in like, you know, 1990, I don't know, 80-something, 86 or 7, I think. So she's here as well. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. You can feel it like sort of just in the air, all these, uh, you know, these theater people are running around this city, all kinds of shows, one stranger than the next. So who knows how mine will go over. It's just a good, uh, it's a good old little comedy, little drama. Family, is it, is it the, the talent is global from all over? Yeah, it is global, but really sort of the uh, sort of the former colonies. It's like Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales, Australia, um, that kind of thing. So India is is represented here as well. So, um, you know, as an American, you're definitely a minority, but we're here. We're 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 here. There's the former colonies. Is that something they have said, or did you come up with that? I just came up with that because I'm looking at like it's all the sort of the UK. And then it's yeah. sort of like Australia. And I'm like, well, what's the connection? Then I saw a couple of shows that were based on sort of like Bollywood send-ups and stuff from India, people from India. So I'm sort of like saying, I think it's people who, you know, like same thing like with cricket. You know, the people who play cricket, it's all the former English colonies, you know, so sort wow. of like, they're all coming here to Edinburgh. How did I save my ass right there? <laughs> With the cricket reference. I just think you have marketing in your future. I mean, it's amazing I really the do, angles yeah. you take on things. Hopefully I get a good internship this summer, coach. We'll see what happens. And I can I can move. Well, listen, say hello to everyone from the colonies. And um, the good former luck at colonies, the show. Dude. The former colonies, we, they, they lost us and uh, they shouldn't have let us go. So uh, I, don't, I, we, I don't know. No comment on that stuff. So, all right, pal. So good. Good luck with your preseason this uh, this week, as uh, the women come in and yeah. uh, is Juventus training again uh, this week. No, Any- they're out. They start their season soon, so they're in the process of getting back to Italy for that. And um, yeah, a lot of teams across the the U.S. Uh, got some visits from European teams, so that's great. Okay, and uh, everything's starting up. All the European leagues are starting up next week. It's exciting. You yeah, have this- your your first shows too. So good luck, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and Prem starts this week too. So, all right, yeah. brother. So uh, be well, good luck uh, this week. And uh, I'll, I'll send you, I'll keep you posted on what's happening with fear heights over here on the other side of the world, my friend. All right, everyone. That's all the time we have today on over the ball for Chris Chamonix and Kevin Flynn. I'm Kevin Flynn. And we'll talk to you next time on OTB. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247.